Hello, fellow Powder Hounds, and welcome to the Powder Hounds Podcast, a podcast about just having fun skiing and riding. I'm your host, Jeff Squawman Shaw. It is Saturday, August 15, 2020, and we are recording live from Meadow Lane Studios. Today's episode is yet another summer solo, but don't worry. Once the heat of the summer gives way to the cool, crisp autumn air, episodes leading up to opening day of the 2020-2021 winter season will be jam-packed with guests and games. As for today, I'll talk some ski news, offer more solid predictions of what to expect in the upcoming winter season, and most importantly, lay out three fun ski and ride challenges to make this snow season more memorable than just well, keeping your face covered and staying away from strangers. We will even get to our inaugural listener questions. Super stoked about that. So sit back, kick your feet up, relax, and enjoy the experience of everything skiing and riding, Powderhounds. This first segment, another continuation of Shutdown Survival Kit. I'll go through a few, well, activities to keep me sane and entertained. First up, paddling. A good alternative to, well, I guess using some lower body and abdominal muscles that may come in handy on the slopes. I've been doing the stand-up paddle variety, seeking seclusion in freshwater kettle ponds as opposed to the busy, chaotic parking lots of the salty, <laughs> salt, saltwater beaches. And hey, you know, there's a ton to check out. Literally lots and lots of freshwater ponds out there. No one's around. It's easy to park, usually free in most cases. And even better, there's no tides to worry about. On a recent paddle, I was approaching a little protected cove on the opposite side of the parking parking area of a medium-sized pond and took a break, tied up the stand-up paddle board, did a little swim, relaxed, but um, I actually tried to maybe not really do laps, but, you know, freestyle swim with my arms, kicking up my feet. And I guess I haven't done that type of swimming in a long time, for a sustained amount of time. And I was winded in very short order. So I kind of thought I was a little bit better shape. But apparently swimming is really difficult if you don't do it regularly. So I certainly learned my limitations and um, I'm going to be more careful out there, I guess, at least when I'm in deep water. Now, uh, this particular cove is of note because I don't know whether it was the way the sun kind of reflected off the surface or just a mid-morning hallucination. But I discovered what I'm calling tropical waters beach. And I say that because the shallow... Uh, part of the cove where the, the soft sandy beach, the sort of the tan hues, yellow hues. Then as the water gets a little deeper, you sort of get that turquoise color of the mixing of the yellows, tans, and the deep dark water blue. And obviously farther out in any body of water where it's darker, you get that dark blue. So you sort of had that three tri you know, color optical illusion, which uh, kind of, uh, you know, kind of transported me to paradise a little bit. And it was just a quiet, calm morning and um, just had a great time. So uh, that's a little shout out for Cliff Pond up in Brewster at Tropical Waters Beach. 
And again, if you haven't been swimming in a little while, maybe it's worth uh, checking out your stamina. So we're all about safety here uh, first at the Powderhounds podcast. Moving on land, I've been doing a little bit of landscaping, uh, maybe a tad bit of gardening, but uh, really more cleaning up debris caused by the tropical storm that blew through the Northeast about 10 days ago. And while I was doing that cleanup, I noticed that some trimming of some bushes and plantings uh, in the, on the property was in order and ended up sort of refurbishing and re, uh, I guess, doing a little decorating of the outdoor space. The deck now has some new plants, a lot more green. We got the tiki torches going for some atmosphere. Forgot about the sound system. Uh, t- finally, you know, just turned it on. I've been mostly walking around with my portable Bose uh, speaker, Bluetooth speaker. So got the uh, the um, sound system hooked up, and we're ready to entertain. Of course, outdoor only, and from the appropriate distance, wearing the appropriate facial coverings. Um, but, uh, yeah, just uh, wanted to enjoy the outdoors as long as we can. Citronella candles are, are also helping uh, fend away those mosquitoes. Uh, we've gotten into some games recently, discovered an unopened uh, board game, Super Scrabble. Now, if you haven't played Scrabble in a while, it, 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 you know, you get into it pretty quickly. Uh, double, triple word score, quadruple word score, just outmaneuvering your opponents uh, with simple words is, is a lot more fun than maybe it seemed when I was younger. Uh, so much so that it's actually now part of our beach packing list. It goes in the trunk along with the umbrella and the, uh, the chairs. So if you see someone playing Scrabble on the beach this summer, it's probably me. Uh, so <laughs> much to the chagrin and wandering eyes of other beachgoers. Also discovered, this is a really great announcement for uh, uh, just locally, the newspaper. I must have decided to add a new section. And at the end of the, this is a weekly local paper, at the end of the section, there's a game page with, uh, you know, word jumbles, searches, uh, crosswords, uh, and the difficulty level is certainly moderate. <laughs> so it's sort of a race to see how quickly uh, I could finish it. But that's been kind of a fun discovery, though I will continue to promote, if you're not doing it already, the New York Times daily mini crossword is the bomb. And try to beat my best time of 36 seconds if you dare. Of course, every puzzle is different. So, you know, that's um, that might not be realistic in some of the harder ones. Um, and of course, on the links, still doing a lot of golf, doing the uh, getting up early, doing the sunrise, nine holes before sort of the day starts, which is great while the rest of the family's sleeping. Uh, and as well as the other side of the day towards the four or five o'clock uh, afternoon, uh, nine holes with some friends. Been great, even though golf continues to be frustrating. Every little bit of progress, one step forward, two steps back, it seems. So rather than focusing on score alone, I highly encourage you to get out there, do some games, check out Wolf, check out Bingo Bango Bongo if you feel good about your short game. Get into uh, nines if there's just three of you. Just just add some fun games to just you know make this the pain of a bad hole lessened. I highly recommend it. You'll have a lot more fun out there. In terms of screen time, we've got to keep ourselves in, in, entertained a little bit inside, although we do try to stay outside while it's light and warm as long as possible in the summer, so try to really limit the screen time. But I have caught some live sports, a little bit of 
hoops, a little be- uh, baseball, certainly some golf, and finally got into another series. Finally got around to watching Star Wars The Mandalorian, the television series. It's an eight-episode, about 30 minutes per episode series that has been just outstanding. I was very impressed with the uh, production and the quality of the show. I will say, I have to point this out because we got so into it, we decided to check out the behind the scenes episodes, how this show was made. And the producers, the directors, the, the crew, just amazing level of detail uh, that just needs to be recognized because I had no idea going into it. Absolutely love Star Wars, but I'm not at all a you know super fan. And maybe I, maybe I am maybe I'm heading that direction now after watching the Mandalorian behind the scenes. But anyway, an example of this is if you'll recall the first movie, Episode Four, A New Hope, when Luke is purchasing a droid that first droid short circuits, and that's what leads him to R2D2. So they took that short circuited droid and placed it as a fixture in the bar. Uh, in the new television series, and there's been a few, sp- it's been spotted in a few episodes. So I thought that was a really cool little thing, and there's maybe at least three dozen more examples, much better than that. And I'm not even doing it justice right now, but uh, super, uh, super cool. Uh, another example Empire Strikes Back, the fifth episode, the second original movie. There's a scene in Cloud City that's being evacuated. And a background character, you know, sort of an extra, essentially, was carrying this odd object that was in no way referenced or came up in the original movies, but was sort of, um, you know, put to use in the television series as a prominent object that essentially was the piggy bank to the currency that the bounty hunter was paid with. And it's just this really minute detail that, again, they, they brought back after all those years later. Um, and also the same um, episode, same same movie, Empire Strikes Back, the Imperial Walker that was used to um, attack the village in the television series was actually used in only one scene at the very beginning of Empire Strikes Back, and they modeled it after that, uh, that, that one scene. And again, just such a small level of detail that no one, unless you were really into Star Wars and, and pick up on super minor details, would know about. But I thought it was really cool and, uh, to learn about that and to, to, to understand how, how uh, deep in the woods they got on the details. I would also mention, and I had to look this up to get it right, there was also a really cool occurrence with the 501st Legion. Now, for if you don't know what that is, it's an international fan-based organization dedicated to the construction and wearing of screen-accurate replicas of Imperial Stormtrooper armor, Sith Lords, clone troopers, bounty hunters, and other villains from the Star Wars universe. I bring this up. This is absolutely relevant because what happened was in this action sequence scene, in the television series, the directors realized they didn't have enough background stormtroopers. They only had a couple dozen. They wanted like twice, if not three times that amount. So what they did is they they contacted, they reached out to this uh, organization. And usually these folks, as I understand it, they do charity work. They show up at parades, festivals, and that sort of you know keeps you know keep keeps them going um, and and builds their their network. They called them down nearby, I guess, out in California. Um, just to show up, but they thought they were attending like a charity event kind of thing. They weren't told what was why they were needed. 
Uh, and then they find out they're going to be not only on set, but like in this awesome action sequence. And uh, super cool. Uh, get, hearing some of the interviews, it was like a dream come true for a lot of these folks. So I thought it was really cool, really cool detail and really cool story. So so I'm going to close with uh, that. That's been a little bit of my, my entertainment uh, recently. As for food and drink, real quick, my dollars that would normally go towards Social activities has been redirected to takeout restaurants. Got to support them. The fish market, the local deli, ice cream parlor, and of course, uh, the old, old, old wise dog uh, package store. So shout out to them. Um, and yeah, we've been just sort of doing the, you know, stuffed fish, lobster specials. Actually was able to find lobster for $4.99 a pound last week, which, you know, doesn't, maybe come by often but if, you, if you're looking carefully you got to pounce when you see it so that's been kind of fun uh, also <laughs> we've been putting together some charcuterie <laughs> and crudite plates to uh i guess maybe keep things interesting have a little uh, taste of the finer things in life and i say that with a chuckle because i mixed up the two and my wife will not let me live it down so there you go whether it's your cheese your cheese cured meats, olive plate, or your your veggie fruit and, and dip plate. Either way, it's delicious, and hopefully we can uh, we can we can use those to entertain our friends and family in the future. And uh, well, you know, on the drink front, I've been doing a little bit of uh, in terms of the all day anytime non-alcoholic variety. Just a simple seltzer and cranberry, the sort of the version Cape Cotter has been uh, very nice, very, very tasty and light. As for cocktail hour, going right to the margarita, a little espalone and pure, sort of the high-end uh, sort of mix mixes there. And uh, the dark and stormy by Gosling's, I must make that clear because apparently that's copyright, uh, trademarked. And uh, if you don't use Gosling's for your dark rum and ginger beer, you got to call them a safe harbor, I think it is. So uh, I learned about that uh, recently, trying to put that little tasty beverage together. <laughs> uh, things you, the things you learn. Uh, but finally, if you're on the beach playing Scrabble or just kicking it, <laughs> or just kicking uh, your feet up on the deck, uh, on, a, on a hot summer day, uh, just grab a Sam Adams porch rocker. Very light, very, very uh, lemony, very tasty, and uh, enjoy yourself. So there's a little sample in a jar of things I've been getting into, again, to keep me sane, entertained, and well-fed. Or maybe not so well-fed. But let's transition to another segment. This one, of course, very relevant. Winter is coming, and what we know about the upcoming winter season. Now I'm going to do get, uh, talk about a little highlights from reports across North America, ski areas, Colorado, Massachusetts, Montana, Utah, and Vermont, and talk a little bit about some of those industry discussions. Also want to note a quick update on season pass sales. From what I've read, again, a small sample size, but I think very relevant. Uh, I've only seen uh, reports of uh, season pass sales having surpassed expectations. And Magic Mountain, a small, medium-sized maybe mountain in central Vermont, is quoted as saying, we've sold the most season passes ever sold in, in a calendar year, So, or I guess pre-season. So <clears throat> that's a good indication. People are itching to ski and ride. 
and certainly have the confidence of the um, skiers to do everything they, they can to keep us safe and uh, <clears throat> make sure that the season you know, uh, does in fact happen. Now, I have not personally updated my own plans for my season pass, but I will, as you will learn in my three ski and ride challenges for the upcoming winter season, that the Indy Pass would help me check all three boxes. So let's dig into what we're hearing from the ski areas. I'm going to first just start out with the common plans for the upcoming season that are almost cemented, I'd say 99.9% in the, you know, in the plan and then spend a little bit more of the time talking about the one-offs. The, wait, they said what? Um, and sprinkle in some quotes to make sure we keep the positive vibe of the upcoming season strong. So we're gonna start out west in Colorado at A Basin, Arapahoe Basin. Their COO, Al Hensroth, is quoted as saying, we are deeply committed to the safety and well-being of our guests and our employees. We are deeply committed to those people that have already purchased season passes and products, valid at A Basin. We are deeply committed to offering skiing and riding with as few restrictions as are absolutely possible. The upcoming season will be all about the skiing and riding. Well said, Al. You certainly are deeply committed. Um, so uh, that said, what we know, we know that resorts, they wanna stay open, they must protect their staff, and of course, they must do everything they can to protect their guests. So procuring personal protective equipment, hand sanitizer, cleaning products, plexiglass guards, uh, where there's common interactions will be uh, almost certainly done at any ski area. Masks will likely be, I'm gonna say required, even though I haven't actually seen that. I feel like they, they, there's just gonna be so much pressure on doing everything possible to limit transmission that would obviously could spread in a ski area, but then trickle down into the local community. So, you know, I think that uh, the ski areas probably are gonna be pretty aggressive with their, their health and safety measures. So making masks required, uh, you know, if you can't maintain the six feet, I think will likely be, um, you know, a mandate. We'll see. Social distancing will certainly be enforced. You know, there's going to be predetermined directions inside the lodge and restrooms. There's certainly going to be uh, pre, you know, constructed mazes in the ski lift. So, you know, the, the mazes might certainly trickle out into the runouts. So they might look daunting, the lift lines, but hopefully they, they will move and uh, it won't be, you know, a, a just, uh, you know, total, total weight around kind of ski day. Certainly there's going to be enhanced cleaning and sanitation schedules from pretty much every website I've, I've, I've uh, uh, scanned. Every, res every ski area has some sort of commitment to enhanced cleaning and sanitation. So that's great. Online transactions, if it can be done online, it will be done online. No question about that. Limit interactions with staff and guests. Certainly outside activities. If anything can be done outside, it will be, as the risk of transmission is lower outdoors than it is indoors. And quite frankly, that fact is the anchor of all hope to complete <laughs> the upcoming winter season. Uh, you know, just one challenge that I, I just think about is on a bitterly cold, windy, miserable, gray, sleety day, when the weather changes and everyone surges inside, sorry, probably should never say that word again, but when there's a, when there's a mass 
you know, movement towards the lodge, you know, how ski areas are going to um, manage that. We'll see. Another thing we know, there are already restrictions in place for indoor activities. So this is restaurant, rentals, rent, retail space. You know, building use is different. It's certainly grab and go. It's certainly quick. No one's encouraged to hang around and linger. So there could be more lines if there is sort of that, again, that limited capacity inside. And I, I don't just mean waiting in line for that, you know, nice restaurant with the white tablecloths and the, you know, farm to table menu with the grass fed fill in the blank, but even just a, a long line to get a hot chocolate or, or a coffee in the morning. So I think folks will be encouraged to, you know, kind of bring their own food and drink, you know, at least to get your ski day started. And also, the parking lot uh, is, is an interesting opportunity, we'll call it that, and I'm going to expand upon that in a little bit. But in A Basin's case, in Al's comments, he did say that their emphasis is to transition people safely and quickly from parking lots to the mountain. But I'd also have to imagine that cars will be faced farther apart than they normally are. If you want people to gear up at their car, you're going to have to space them appropriately, uh, given state guidance, uh, public health guidance. So I'd imagine that uh, there's going to be fewer spaces and the parking lots are going to fill up sooner. Uh, so you're going to probably want to start your, your normal trek to the mountain, perhaps, you know, half hour earlier than maybe you usually would. Al also says big mountains may have an advantage. Wait, he said what? <laughs> Sorry, that's the first of a few of those. So um, <clears throat> I suppose larger mountains could have an advantage from simply being able to spread out skiers and riders more on more trails, assuming they have more open terrain, which they probably will because large mountains are generally higher in elevation, thus more natural snow, thus being able to hold on to snow longer. And they have maybe more of a, an ability to make snow and make a lot of it. So smaller mountains, though, should be okay as long as they monitor capacity. Um, and I think that's obviously the key and sort of the question, you know, how they're going to, if, they're, if everything is going to be reservations ahead of time or if there still will be that sort of first come, first serve scene and people, you know, maybe get turned away depending on how, you know, maybe late they get to the mountain on a specific day. So we'll see, but, um, you know, certainly from an from a acreage standpoint, yeah, you could spread around more, more skiers and riders if you're a bigger mountain. But let's go, let's get another perspective. Rob Katz, CEO of Vail Resorts, home of the Epic Pass, is quoted as saying, this is part of a longer interview, but strict safety protocols and unwavering dedication to wearing masks, avoiding crowded indoor spaces, and maintaining physical distance between unrelated parties. We need to accept that will be the reality for the full season. So Rob is really emphasizing vigilance, even if a ski area is located in a state or community with low transmission, does not mean take your foot off the gas as it comes to health and safety, because we really need to do everything we can to keep those numbers low. And that will obviously be the determining factor in keeping the season alive and, and, and uh, continuing to be able to enjoy the mountains. He also preaches patience, which segues nicely with his, I'd say, you know, friendly rival, Win Smith, uh, outgoing CEO of Sugarbush in Vermont. He's retiring. Uh, Sugarbush is a partner on the Icon Pass. Win says, 
Quote, we will just have to be flexible and more patient than our type A personalities are used to. <laughs> yes, I, uh, I can relate to that. Now, he also says that Sugar Bush, while a larger ski area, not the size of A Basin, but larger in, in proximity in the Northeast, also has another advantage. They do not have gondolas or bubble quads to the chagrin of some, but now, as he's quoted as saying, that seems to be an advantage, right? I think right now, if you were asked, do you want to take the open air quad, even triple or double, or get on a gondola or bubble chair, unless it's your own party, you're probably going to go with the first option. But we will see. Everybody is different, and everyone has a different level of uh, risk. Uh, personal risk, that is. Um, he also says that uh, it may be that we have more outdoor dining and opera options in the Lincoln Peak Courtyard and elsewhere, you know, insinuating outdoor uh, dining for food and drink. He also says skier visits could get spread out much more. Wait, he said what? <laughs> Uh, that one might have been a little forced. No, he does say, though, that it may be that more people are working at home or in their second homes <laughs> in the, near the ski area, and that skier visits actually could get spread out over those seven days, over you know, over a week, instead of being concentrated on the weekends and the holidays. So uh, if that would be great. Uh, certainly would take off some pressure if you're only your schedule only allows you to go on the weekends. Now, interestingly, since many people are able to work remotely, could could there be a a push and encouragement to maybe you know change your work schedule so you work on a weekend on a Saturday, but then be able to take that weekend day on a Wednesday or a Tuesday? That way, again, you know, you can be, you can help spread out, you know, sort of the peak demand on a ski area. You know, I'm I'm certainly open to have that that conversation with my boss, and um, it would be great if a couple of my Powderhound uh, Powderhound crew also, you know, could make that happen, and, and that could be a help to the ski areas. So we'll see. Big Sky Montana, Troy Nedved, General Manager Taylor Middleton, COO, released a joint statement. We are carefully preparing for the safety of our environment, but are confident that even with adaptations, the thrill of skiing at Big Sky Resort will be as exhilarating as ever. There's one thing that's true in this world is skiing at Big Sky is exhilarating, all 5,000 acres. Um, and I'm telling you, to get, but to get away from the bustling crowd of the main base, post up at the Madison base area for lunch and any breaks. It is a very cool, calm vibe and certainly away from the crowds. Now let's go a little south to Utah. Brighton spokesman Jared Winkler is quoted as saying, we are anticipating less crowds, less focus on food and beverage specials and lessons. He says, expect some resorts may encourage visitors to bring bagged lunches and tailgate instead of eating inside the lodge. Wait, he said what? All right, that was the that was the big one. <laughs> so, you know, frankly, there really is no way resorts can, you know, procure enough picnic tables, Adirondack chairs, fold-out tables, whatever, to move a substantial amount of people outside that would normally eat inside the lodge. So, yeah, I mean, I think 
the parking lot becomes that opportunity to move people, spread people out a little bit more, yet they have a de- designated space to you know, socially distance. Again, if, they're park, if when they're lined up to park, they're appropriately distanced. And you know, quite frankly, having a limited food and beverage operation may be, may be a, a desire from, from the, the ski area's point of view certainly will cut down on some some really difficult logistics and that surge between you know what 11 and two o'clock when the lodges are generally jammed and there's nowhere to sit so yeah directing people back to their cars you know maybe allowing them to tailgate you know small propane grill certainly the you know the 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 scene could quickly maybe deteriorate to that of you know a a, you know (laughs) you know college professional football game tailgate but you know i think most people are are being serious about the pandemic, and I I gotta think that um, you know most people won't abuse that privilege if it's given to them. So I'm certainly in favor of having that option. I certainly would be um, up for doing that, being you know settling up for lunch uh, at, at the car, uh, whether it's you know again uh, you know a simple lunch in a cool you know sandwich in the cooler. Or uh, setting up a small portable grill kind of thing, um, but you know we'll see what how how um, creative and innovative the ski areas get. But either way, camping chair, small table, full cooler, uh, maybe even my sunbrella. I don't know uh, if it's a <laughs> it's a sunny day. You know, um, are, I'm happy to fit those in the trunk uh, along with my skis, poles, and boots. So. Um, We'll see how, how that one shapes up. So I'm going to wrap this up on a high note um, by going to Colorado, <laughs> home of the Rocky Mountain High, written by John Denver. So this is from, uh, again, very relevant, Aspen Snowmass uh, CEO Mike Kaplan has been quoted as saying, I love this line, no doubt next season will be more of an old school experience, but that could also translate to less noise, fewer distractions, and hopefully more meaning. Let that sink in, Powderhounds. Let it wash over you. I think that's what we all need right now. More meaning. Back to basics. Turn off the apps. Turn down the music. Tune up the senses. Appreciate nature. Enjoy every run because who knows how long the season will last. Carve it while you can. Now my lingering questions for the upcoming season. Brought it up. This first issue up last episode, the question around group reservations with people that have different passes. You know, how far can you book out? Do you need to pay all at once? You know, if the Southern Hemisphere resort uh, or ski area experiment has has told us anything is that each mountain is kind of doing their own thing. So one of the mountains treated season pass holders uh, better. You know, they get they had preference for reservations and and booking the days they were going to ski. Another one treated everybody equally, whether you had a pass or not. You know, is are the mega passes going to go down one 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 lane, but the other independently owned resorts are going to do their own thing? Don't know, but certainly very interested because again, my group, at least my one one of my skiing groups, Patterns. There's at least 20 of us. We sometimes have different passes. It's already logistically 
challenging to get to get to decide where we're going to go, let alone, you know, maybe having to win a lottery to gain access on a specific popular day or weekend, that kind of thing. So very interested to see how that's going to shake out. My second issue is access to the property, the lodges for non-skiers and riders, typically family members. Uh, one of one or two may not ski or ride, but they're good soldiers and they hang out in the lodge all day while the other members of the, their party enjoy the slopes. Um, I'm imagining they're going to have to have a reservation to be on the property. They're going to have to be counted in the any capacity limits, even though they technically wouldn't show up on the lift ticket sales. Uh, numbers. So, you know, how are they going to be, you know, treated? And certainly for the, if they're, if they have young kids that ski and ride, they're going to need their parents to you know, drop them off and pick them up and they're going to, the parents are going to need somewhere to hang out. So I know that the non-skiing, you know, non-skiers are not the primary focus right now, <laughs> certainly not the audience, but I'm sure the ski resorts are thinking about them too. And then finally, I hate to even bring it up, but sort of the you know evil out-of-state plates, and I, I only bring that up because I've noticed, read a little bit about some confrontations around beaches, you know, where the local community is not very happy and they're trying to reduce the um, ability of, of people out-of-state, certainly from out-of-state, from states that are, are surging or where the transmission rates are high, and if there's going to be confrontations there. And what I've read about is, the you know the lift uh, the parking attendants the lifeguards have sort of had to step into this sort of mediator role which they're not trained to do and I would imagine the ski resorts the ski areas are wrestling with the same challenges. So we're ended on there. Those are my three lingering questions, which I will report back on as we go. Let's transition to a new segment. Good news. <laughs> Finally, some good news. This is actually fun, and thank you for the bank show, Timmy, for uh, posting this in our group me uh, message. Uh, 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 group message. Apparently, you can rent a ski area for the day. That's right, to help smaller resorts uh, with limited weekday ticket sales. You can, in fact, rent a ski area. The one that caught my eye was Pico in Vermont, next to Killington, a mere three hours from Hartford, is only $6,500 for the day. And now that boils down to about 25 bucks per person, so just find, uh, I don't know, 249 friends and you are in business. I know there's gotta be some powder hounds, influencers out there, this is your time to shine. The other uh, resort on the East Coast, at least in this article, uh, unofficial Networks article, Plate Kill, New York, about three hours outside New York City. That's on the cheap, only $2,500, which boils down to 10 bucks a person for, again, that 250 <laughs> group of friends. And out west, Turner, Montana, Eagle Point, Utah, and Silverton, Colorado. So there you go. If you want to rent a ski area for the day, check them out. All right, now for the main event, the main segment powder hound winter 2020 21 challenge now again the idea here is to make this winter season more memorable than just navigating around covid how i listed these three challenges are very much <laughs> easy to understand we have a green circle the easiest challenge we have a blue square more moderate difficulty of the challenge and then the black diamond literally a very difficult challenge Indeed. So we're going to start off with the green circle, the easy one. Just check out a new mountain. 
That's right, super easy. Just ski a ride somewhere you've never been, make a new memory, take a new picture, whatever. Now the multi-resort season passes make this super easy. You already bought your lift ticket, you just gotta pick a day. The only challenge is if you're new to a ski area, then you gotta get uh, familiarize yourself with their operation. And certainly within the pandemic, if there's a reservation system, making sure that you get your reservation, get it early. But that's it, first one, easy one. Just check out a new mountain. Number two, the blue square, the more moderate challenge. Try the backcountry. Now I know that many Powderhound listeners probably do that, but for the ones that don't, do a little homework, line up some gear, maybe identify a few friends you might be able to borrow some stuff from, maybe check out some used gear online. But do it now, because you may recall there's a spring feeding frenzy of uphill touring gear rental sales due to the early closure last uh, March. There was a quote about, you know, the, the, the hot commodity was touring gear, had to replace toilet paper at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, so again, don't even want to bring it up, but there is a chance that you could we could experience another mid-season or early season closure, suspension, and you want to be ready you want to get ahead of all those thousands of other people that now also have to look for alternatives. You want to have the gear and you want to have your route all in place. And all you got to do is just pick a day and go. Now, there's tons of information online. There's books. I've actually uh, just received a book, uh, Best Backcountry Skiing in the Northeast, which I plan to use as my motivation to uh, get that rolling as I typically do ski inbounds. And the only times I, I dabble off-piste is uh, at Winter Park, skiers left of Medicine Man in the Eagle Wind Territory, and skiers right off Timbuktu at Jay Peak, thanks to Team Shred's Captain Pete. So, um, yeah, so just trying to get ahead of it now would be my recommendation. Again, the general rule for legal access to the backcountry is public land access through a U.S. Forest Service gate placed in a relatively safe entry point, but again, beyond the gate, uncontrolled and uh, unpatrolled. Private land, generally you need permission and anything else is you're subject to trespassing penalties, so try to avoid that. And first things first, safety, get the right gear, try to get local knowledge, ski with, ski ride with a group, uh, and um, do as much research and preparation as you can. On to the, the third and final challenge, the most difficult, the Black Diamond. Ski a ride, a gnarly trail. Now, what may come to mind is Corbett's Kolar, Tuckerman's Ravine, the various cirques at 14,000 feet. Um, and that's sort of the idea. But I came across an article from Vermont Sports, the gnarly 10, we dared to name the toughest trails in the Northeast. Put these on your bucket list and curse us when you're crying uncle. Now, don't worry, the list is not uh, uniquely Vermont. There's some New Hampshire, Maine, and New York shout-outs, although it's largely Vermont. Now, I've been to seven of the ten mountains on this list, but I'm only sure I've skied four of the trails. So, yes, this is also a challenge for me. Now, here are the ten. I'm sure this is subject to debate and controversy, and I'd love to hear about it. But here's what we got. Number one, Paradise at Mad River Glen, Vermont, accessed off the single chair. Skiers left. Now, back when I had absolutely no fear, I'm pretty sure we skied this, but it was a long time ago, back when I wasn't really noticing trails or really cared about it. It was really just, you know, finding the, uh, you know, open 
unoccupied uh, lines. So um, I don't know. That one's a question mark, but it's on the list. And one I've definitely skied is Goat at Stowe, one of the four fabled front four ski trails at Stowe. Access via the front runner quad right below the Octagon Lodge. And I'm certain I scratched, damaged my K2 Apaches after deciding to go down this on a thin cover day. Not a good idea generally ever to go down thin cover when you have uh, you know gear that you want to protect. But I don't know. It was a, it was a moment of, um, you know, uh, just not well thought out. But um, anyway, yeah, long, narrow, steep, bumpy, the typical, you know, gnarly trail. Uh, next up, Rumble at Sugarbush, Vermont, the, off the Castle Rock area, accessed off the delightfully slow and well-spaced out double chair. Now, um, if, the, hey, if there's ever a chair to get on to avoid COVID, it's, it's the Castle Rock uh, double. Uh, but um, we were at Sugarbush last year, and I think the one, we going back to Rob Katz and Wynn Smith's patience, um, you know, uh, <laughs> emphasis. Um, we didn't have much, and we I think we only we only waited for one uh, one chairlift ride up Castle Rock. I think we went down Middle Earth, but uh, I've definitely been down Rumble before, and uh, that's uh, that's a fun trail. Uh, moving along, Devil's Fiddle at Killington, Vermont, made the list. That's on Bear Mountain. Now, I don't know if I've been on this. It's really easy to access, uh, but I always think, I'm, I'm thinking that unless Clinton's kind of 100% open, you're usually funneled to outer limits, which is that bump trail right underneath the lift over there on Bear. So I actually don't know if I've been down Devil's uh, Fiddle. And for what it's worth, I'm going to throw out Anarchy as a pretty intense trail, Tuba, Captain Kosmeskis will back me up on that. We had a pretty gnarly run uh, when we took it <laughs> that one day last season. And um, so who knows? But uh, stair Staircase Glade at Jay Peak, Vermont made the list. Now, there's many glades at Jay Peak that could probably be classified as gnarly. Uh, Pete of Team Shred definitely took Nolan and I down that, accessed via the Flyer Quad at Magic Mountain, reference for the second time this episode, Ma Magic Mountain, Vermont. Black Magic, right under the black chair, uh, made the list. A different Pete of a different ski group uh, led the way around and down the entire Magic Mountain on the day that we had the harrowing drive in the blizzard up the back roads, uh, you know, into Londonderry, where I'm fishtailing the whole way in a uh, not all-wheel drive vehicle. But I wouldn't change anything about that day because we did have the marathon of skiing um, at Magic. And the remaining four trails that made the list, Black Hole, Smuggler's Notch, Vermont, the only triple di double diamond in the Northeast, Lookout Below, Whiteface Mountain, New York, Misery Whip, Sugarloaf, Maine, and DJ's Tramline at Cannon Mountain in New Hampshire. Now I end with DJ's Tramline because if you picked up the earlier reference, not only is DJ's Tramline uh, a run I have never been down, and it's on this gnarly list, but it's also a mountain I've never skied. So that would knock off two of the three challenges just right there. So if I get that any pass, I'm headed to you, Cannon Mountain. Uh, now, Warren Miller wisely pronounced, if you don't do it this year, you will be one year older when you do. When it comes to gnarly trails, the time is now to try to ski them. 
Now, again, I asked earlier, this is, do you have any gnarly trails to add to this list? Uh, let the debate rage during this summer off season. But to recap, again, the 2020-21 season Powderhounds winter challenge is two. Number one, ski or ride a new mountain. Number two, do a backcountry tour. Number three, ski or ride one of the gnarly 10 of the Northeast. And if you're out west or in a different part of North America, I want to hear what your gnarly 10 are. Again, find us at Twitter at Powderhound Skis. Find us on Podbean. And one of these days, I'll probably create a website or something. <laughs> now, let's go to the most important, most excited segment of today's episode, listener questions. Again, super, super excited to uh, go through these. And thank you guys for reaching out. Um, I'm going to start with what I'm calling Trails to Avoid. This one submitted via email from TJ from Lennox, Mass., who writes, love the Stone Hut episode with all the discussion about which first tracks to take. What trails do you avoid at Stowe? Didn't have to think about this at all. Chin clip right underneath the gondola is one I would avoid. I had a bad spill couple seasons ago where I was wearing my brand new POC goggles and when I put them back on after the wipeout and roll, I had a nice little indentation scratch on the, on the, uh, on, on the lens. So not cool chin clip. So I would avoid chin clip. I was also probably pushing it, probably should have stopped and took a break. Uh, but uh, you know, that's, that's a debate for another day. Um, but, uh, yeah, you can't really go wrong at Stowe. It's really just great terrain. Although I will say that I think on weekends, the quad opens 30 minutes before the gondola. So that's some critical laps that you could make. So my usual approach to Stowe is start in the quad and then actually traverse over to the spruce area where it's sunnier, um, and then come back to the gondola sort of when folks are starting to head to the lodge for lunch. But, you know, everyone approaches the mountain differently. But thank you for the question. Um, next up, Sherry from Weathersfield, Connecticut, via email. I call this any apre. She writes, everything I'm reading about the upcoming ski season suggests no bar scene after skiing. Just drive in, do your thing on the mountain, and leave. Any hope of a bar scene? And I got to, you know, again, right, go, go right back to Wynn Smith at Sugarbush talking about the Lincoln Peak Courtyard seeming, seems to suggest, you know, the, the orange plastic, you know, fencing in the beginner area. You're going to maybe see a corral like that, uh, designated area for outdoor um, après, you know, some maybe some fire pits, some, some heat lamps, uh, tabletops. But I got to think that they're not going to want people to linger too long. So uh, there could be some limits maybe on uh, you get one drink and that's it, or uh, I don't know, um, maybe it just will be a, a smaller area that, you know, will have a capacity limit. Um, we'll see. And then people might not want to wait around in the cold to uh, you know, have a beer. So, you know, we'll, th that one is a tougher one to answer, but I, it's hard to see anything indoor really happening just because, you know, you just get a little looser once, you know, you, you kind of get in that outpray mode. And and uh, I don't think they want to deal with people, you know, that were nor would normally be, be um, you know, following the directions and then kind of forget about them while they're, you know, kind of enjoying themselves. Um, let's move on to Brian from Norwich via Podbean, um, calling this Backcountry Basics. Thinking of trying the Backcountry this season. Any tips? 
you know, I kind of talked about a little earlier, you know, research, local knowledge, just, you know, going with a group, getting the gear, the transceiver, probe, shovel, whistle, and really just, you know, making sure you're comfortable and knowledgeable about the snow conditions. And, uh, you know, you just don't want to be, you don't want to add to the, you know, um, the first responders that are already dealing with so much by being, uh, you know, causing a problem out there. But to help with that, I would suggest checking out avalanche.org as well as knowbeforeyougo.org with, uh, they have very short, you know, 10, 15 minute videos about backcountry, about some, um, you know, safety basics um, that you, you, you can, that could be helpful before you go. But, um, again, just be careful and, um, you know, uh, enjoy yourself. You know, a lot of adventures await. So these are good questions. Thank you again, listeners for submitting them. Keep the goods coming. Bottom line, everything I'm reading about and hearing about, there will be a winter season, but we must remain vigilant in stopping the spread of this thing if we want it to continue through the spring and not get upended like it did last year. So stay healthy, think snow, and uh, we, will, we will get there. Thank you to my listeners. Follow me on Twitter at Powderhound Skis. Better yet, subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Google Bot Podcast Manager. Just type Powderhound Ski and Ride. Until next time, see you on the slopes, Powderhounds.